You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Yeah, you're right, Ken. There was a there was a Say that disturb again? you're right, Ken. Yeah. Oh. Do you want me to write it down? Please. That just happened. <laughs> he's marking it on <laughs> he's marking it actually. He's just gonna go and re-listen to that over and over again. That's, you're right, Ken. You're right. That's Ken. his new ringtone. You're right, Ken. <laughs> Welcome to the Legendarium. This is the Blue Team. We're going to be going through Dune. This is episode two. We're going to be going through Dune Messiah. Excuse me. The second of the Dune books, Dune Messiah. This is episode 218. Somebody was telling me that that episode numbers are disappearing from podcast notifications. That was what um, Apple was flying up the flagpole, and I think they were told in no uncertain terms, probably 90% by Craig, that that's a stupid <laughs> idea. Why so, Why would I not be surprised that yeah. it would be 90% I by mean, Craig? That'd, that'd be the first time, though, that Apple actually took a suggestion from... Yeah, you know, well... Well, it, it was funny. It was later later that day. They were like, biggest backtrack in history. Yeah, well, especially for <laughs> Apple, who yeah. never backtracks, right? Right. Ever. There was... Rehiring yeah. Steve Jobs after they fire him. Um <laughs> So anyway, uh, sh- short story long, uh, we still are number 218. I guess we're going to still be <laughs> 10 seconds into the episode and we're already derailed. <laughs> You're welcome. You know what? Craig is not babysitting us today. We are on our own. That's true. Legend- the first time we've been on our own. <laughs> Legendarium is, fair, is is fantasy speak for tangent. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Guys, this is going to be, and and let's be honest, um, there is there is more, uh, may, maybe not because of the book, but certainly because of the weekend, there's probably more free-flowing testosterone in this room than there has been for a significant <laughs> period of time. And uh, Megan, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry that, to bring this up one more time. Megan's been hearing Ken and I talk about Spartan Race because we just did a Spartan over the weekend. Um, I'm not tired of it yet. You so, guys are adorable. <laughs> You're so excited about it. We had so much fun. Free-flowing free like Spice Melange. Oh my you. goodness. It's it's in everything. It's everywhere and in everything. Yeah. It's going to be, in fact, you know what? Kind of like the dirt. I feel like, like it just got gross. Yeah, yeah. No, not yet. Not yet. Hey, because this is the Legendarium, <laughs> those of you that have been listening with us for a long time, you know, you know what we generally talk about in our housekeeping. We generally don't ramble quite this much this early in the episode, but you know what? Patreon... Find us on Patreon. Find us on Reddit. Find us out uh, out in the social media and the different in the different kind of feeds and and on the Twitter on and the tweets uh, Discord. We have a Discord. We have a Discord channel. Um, yep. Come find us. Come play with us. Come uh, come engage with us, especially on this episode, because as we go through here, as we get to the end, we're going to be leaving out. Uh, we're going to be leaving out a, a big shout out for you to help us with episode probably i think it's going to be 221 the way the episodes stack up if i remember right i think that's right uh but anyway well that'll that'll make more sense as we get further into the episode if you're one of those people that is like oh my gosh why is he putting something in the episode that's gonna make me worry now i gotta go to the end of the episode that's fine go to the end of the episode mark the spot come back okay welcome back so anyway <laughs> wait, wait, wait did don't ever did i interrupt you guys before you got to tell us why you had all this free-flowing testosterone going on i don't know Todd, uh, Todd spartan is- race Spartan race. Okay. Yeah. Todd is totally riffing right now. We so. did a, we did a, Ken and I did a Spartan sprint together. We reunited yeah. some of team inconceivable. I just feel and, like the, uh, the listeners should know that we're not only nerdy, but we're athletic. And by we, I mean you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just nerdy. Uh, I have seen you move. 
Cannon, yeah, I've seen I'm you gonna, dance. I'm I've gonna, seen you I'm dance. I'm gonna leave that out there just um, exactly like that. We're just gonna leave I've that alone, move. just in case our wives are listening. Um, so, and you would be welcome to come with us on our next Spartan. We'd no, love to have I you come along. I just finished my first week at work. There was no way I was running two races. <laughs> yeah, I, Ken ran. Ken ran both the sprint, the sprint, and the super. Yep. Uh, and caused himself significant damage in the process. Just to my hands. Who needs um, those? I ran just the sprint, but by the time it was done today, my lats and my ribs are still killing me. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how I hurt my ribs doing the during the run. I, I'm hoping it's just muscle tissue, so we'll figure it I'm out. I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyway, nobody wants to hear this now that they've turned off the episode. And they was, don't want to listen. It was good times. So. <laughs> we had a good time. So who was, uh, who was here with us today? Well, you know most of us. She is prettier than a sunset across a dune field. Aww. She's Megan Smythe. Oh, I know, right? Is. Yeah, yeah. And he is dirtier than a Fremen coming out of a desert storm, especially this weekend. He That's is true. Ken Johnson. Are you, are you talking about mud? I'm or talking are, about, you, are you talking about? I'm talking about mud. I'm talking about mud. Or, 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 no, I'm talking about mud. <laughs> are we talking physically or mentally? That's... I'm talking both. Yes. Um, there was. Oh, if you wow, can, can hear, you that, hear that, by the way, the F-22s are uh, flying overhead from Hill Air Force Base my favorite time of day it is mine in too. this neck yeah, of the woods I like that we're recording this episode before 10 o'clock at night i used to yeah. i used to work at a place that was on the flight line like this and it was my favorite thing i would just stand there and smile yeah i still do oh i love it we're gonna try and record through this we'll fix that in post oh that we're leaving that in there that's <laughs> the coolest and just just so you're aware we do have we don't have a guest with us here in studio but we do have a guest that is going to be joining us via email his name is james wolniak um he is currently in Latvia, uh, and he is uh, an author and uh, a follower, at least a casual follower of our podcast. And he's got um, some very compelling books too. Have you have you looked at his library? I have not looked at his oh, library man. yet, but uh, but we're going to be talking about a lot it a of later. Uh, looks like a lot of Western sci-fi type stuff. Okay, I'm okay. I'm very interested. Well, it's certainly going to be. Uh, it, we're we're looking at new information that we might, or new material that we might get on the podcast, yeah. right? Um, as we mentioned before, we are going to be talking about Doom Messiah, and in typical fashion, we we typically do have done two episodes on some of our larger books. Now, Doom Messiah, for those of you that uh, have not quite read it yet, go ahead and pause the podcast. We'll wait for you to finish the book. Okay, thank you for coming back um, <laughs> now that the book is finished. Um, Doom Messiah is not one of the longer books uh, that we have ever read. In fact, it's almost perhaps one of the shortest books that we have ever read. Well, if you take out uh, the if you take Tolkien. out 20,000 20, leagues under the sea, and well, the, if you take out the Tolkien, the Tolkien short uh, stories and the goosebumps, and uh, yeah, if so. you take out if you take out some of our one shots, um, but when you talk about our regular our, our regular fare, um, even including things like um, Starship Troopers and Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, all of the Chronicles of Narnia. Did I, I just, okay, we keep the Chronicles am, of Narnia in there, but those are children's <laughs> books. Let's am, throw out the children's. I am totally books. just. I'm just really enjoying in the, the butt. Talk. I am like, just all over your It's one your of our point. shortest books, and then Ken immediately has to list every single book that's shorter. Yeah, yeah but the, the yeah, thing but is, still. it's a pretty short list of shorter books. And that's yes, true. I it meant was nice it that to way. read something that wasn't a thousand pages long. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the shortest book in the series too. It is the shortest book in the Dune series. Yes. Um, and it's and it's the sh it not only is it the shortest book in the Dune series, but it is significantly shorter than anything that Brian Herbert wrote, Frank Herbert's son, to flesh out the rest of the books. So depending on how this goes, this may be a record for cramming the most information into the shortest book. Sure. Um, we do plan to do two uh, two episodes on this one. So we're going to start, and but 
as we go through this, I think you're going to get the, I, I think as you listen, you'll get the feeling as to why this book really deserves and, and earns two podcasts in spite of the, the shorter length. But before we get too far into our conversation, we want to see if we've got a recap. What kind of a recap do we have, Ken? You know, to, to be honest, I, I felt like after the last recap, I just, I couldn't improve on that. So I, I retired my, I retired from recaps that, that, uh, that sting recap was really just. So people really, just go read the book. And people love your sting podcast. recap. They really did. I, I, okay. In fairness, I was a little busy this weekend. I, I kind of neglected to write the recap. What were you doing this weekend? Ken? I was running a pair of Spartan races. <laughs> I don't know if we told you or Which not. Which apparently more difficult than regular races. <laughs> oh, here comes Craig. Oh, <sighs> now we have to be on task again. They, they told me. <laughs> All right, so uh, we we successfully kicked Craig out of the studio. We're back on our own. Right. All right, so Ken, you were running a Spartan race this weekend. Oh yeah, so I was running a Spartan race. Um, end of that joke. Uh, I I do I did take a couple of notes, um, but literally this is all I got. A dozen years have passed since Paul Muad'Dib, the Kwisatz Haderach, hostily took over the empire, and his followers marched to the drums of jihad. His power, fame, and influence have grown exponentially, but turns out conquering the known Duneverse was not was the easy part. <laughs> Keeping it proves to be much, much harder than he may have foreseen, or maybe he does foresee it, you know, because he sees things. Acolytes gathering at his feet, religion run amok, wolves gathering at the door, conspiracy, it's enough to drive a man to drugs, good psychotropic future-gazing <laughs> drugs. Whereas the first was an origin revenge story setting the tone for the universe. And this one, uh, this one is a, a political thriller filled with intrigue and threats, betrayal. A little bit of teen romance thrown in. With a little bit of teen romance thrown in. It's, it's equal parts, Twilight, uh, King Star Arthur Wars, Legend. King Arthur Legends, and uh, I don't know, we thought, or, and Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, so. Wow, you guys really liked this book, wow, didn't you? I tell you what. So here, I, did have, I do have two questions for you as we go. <laughs> is Paul actually dead? Because like we all asked before, nobody, no death. And uh, also, Duncan Idaho's Gola. Does that mean I was technically right? <laughs> yep, I think so. So. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. Is that, is that all you got, Ken? That's all I got. That's all you got. You hear the planes again in the background? I love them. Um, so, uh, uh, okay. So let's let's talk about the Gola really quick. Well, no, before we do anything else, how much did you guys, uh, on, a, on a scale of one to four, with a one being, um, yeah, I, I, think I, I think I loved this as uh, about as good as I loved watching paint dry. And a four being, you know what? No, I would go back and I will, I will look forward to rereading these books in the future. One through one, two, three, or four. What kind of a grade do you give it, Megan? I already forgot what what is the one good. One is low. One, one is, is paint good. dry. Four is read it again. Um, Think about a GPA. A wow. Uh, maybe a two. You give it a two. I was pretty mad at the end of this book. You give it a C. I give it a a two point oh. Yeah. Okay. I give it one and a half stars. One and a half stars. <laughs> You keep changing your vote. Keeps getting just, worse. We're just goes, moving too. the goalposts left and right, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, On the scale of one to four, I'd maybe give it a two point five. Two point five. That's that's probably the aggregate because I was probably about one point five at the beginning, and I was probably about three point five at the end. Okay. See, and I was I was a solid three until like the last four chapters, and then it was no, I no. Yeah, I'm just mad. I feel like he burned everything to the ground. It. That's the thing. It's. It really was a, a, a just f set fire to the world and watch it burn type book. 
Well, like everything that Paul, I mean, I guess that was kind of the whole point of the ending, but like everything that Paul saw and everything that they were setting up ended up not coming to pass. And I'm like, well, on the one hand, I can kind of see why they'd want to, you know, it's kind of like Ryan Johnson doing his Star Wars, The Last Jedi thing. Uh, I wouldn't say it was that bad, but Uh, keep going. Wow. I don't know. I didn't hate that movie, but, um, but on the, on the other hand, it's like, the first book had so much hope in it and it was so much about like, it's a planet and we're trying to save the planet and Paul's trying to avoid this jihad and in the second book, he's just embraced it and he's comparing himself to Hitler or he's saying he's better than Hitler. Right, and, and like, Genghis ah. Khan and all these other people and yeah. Yeah, during the golden age. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, we're going to come back. I, I want to come back to that. Okay. I want to come back to that. Um, but now that now that you guys have given your, your scores to the book. Um, Which, I mean, it's nice to know that you kind of expected us to react this way. Now that we've trampled on Todd's childhood. I, I, I really did expect you to, to respond this way. And I got to be honest. Now you're going to tell us why we're wrong. Uh, n- no, no, Wait. I'm. I'm I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you exactly why I understand why uninitiated individuals might feel this way. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, it's true. I am a Dune virgin. That is, it is that is Todd's it, nice way, a nice guy way of being like Craig. Everything you just said is wrong. This is that's this nice is, to know, and you're wrong. This is one of the this is one of the times when um, when the the. If I if you would ask me when I first read this book what I thought of this book, I will tell you right now. I came away giving it a four. No, oh. um, I was so looking forward to it, and when I came back to it this time, I gave it a solid three point seven. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, it has everything to do with everything you guys have just said, but I'm looking at it through a different lens, and that may have something to do with it. So as we continue to talk about this, we're going to have an opportunity to talk about different perspectives on what's going on. Yes, is it the is it the lens of it's knowing like we're what's in a going classroom? She's raising her hand. <laughs> Well, I mean, you like to talk and I like to listen and it's a problem. Ask your question again. Ask um, your question. Question, what question, no was question. my question? Your question was, eh. is it because I know what's coming in the end? Yes. So uh, for those who, for those who are familiar with Dune, uh, with, with the entire, with the entire arc, um, they will, they will tell you that this book is as critical to everything that follows as is the first Okay. And without the two, you are it 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 is it is as if you are it it is as if you would be going into the experience with fully half of the of the underlying conversation not had. Because there will be things that they will refer to in the next in in the next two books that are that are steeped and and built upon all of the ideas and the philosoph- philosophical underpinnings that goes onto this book. In fact, that was um, that was one of the questions that I asked uh, of James, and I said because he said uh, when we originally were were looking at this, he he reached out to us and he contacted us. He said, "Hey, I hear that you guys are doing a Dune series." By that point, we had already contacted James Jenkins, and James was doing Dune with us. And I said, well, we've already got somebody for Dune, but, you know, we're welcome to Dune, Dune Messiah. And he said, oh, I love Dune Messiah. I'm making up what his voice sounded like. I, we have not spoken on the phone. <laughs> he could sound like that. Hopefully, Hopefully don't know. he does. Cool if he Hopefully does. does. If he's got a little bit of gravel. Yeah, really. Yeah, anyway. Uh, can you still record a soundbite on the Legendarium uh, website? I don't know. You, can you? used to be able to. Maybe he can. So? Maybe he can. Hey, James, will you check that and then, like, record a soundbite? Let us know. Yeah, we'd, love to, we'd like love to hear Todd's your voice. We'd love to hear your voice. See and then I'll try and make my voice... 
I'll try and make my voice sound like that next time when I'm reading some of your answers. And really, uh, anybody else, if you want to try it too, why not? <laughs> yeah. So I, I said, one of the questions that I asked was specifically, why did Dune Messiah impact you as a reader? What made it powerful enough to impact you? And this was his answer. <clears throat> I will try and read it, but I will not read it in the gravelly voice. Uh, he said, Dune presented a lofty philosophical view of sci-fi that I hadn't encountered until that point in my childhood. Dune Messiah, true to the time that I read it, was a more mature and in some ways cynical view of power and aspiration. Paul's increasingly aggressive attempts to control reality led to a feedback loop that pits human will against determinism. This is a struggle we all face, and we are fated to fail. I'm sure the fear is deeply human one. It's also uh, It also showed the immense responsibility one has to bear as they advance along a path of mindfulness. The scene where Paul foresees his wife's death and the falling moon is heartbreaking. And and I would agree there are in in this book and and this is maybe the best the best way to start it. What did you think of the love story? You both commented on it. You both said it was kind of woven through this. What did you think of the love story between Paul and Cheney? Was it and were you thinking more about Paul and Cheney or were you thinking more about the hormonally driven love story between Aaliyah and the Gola hate slash Duncan. I thought going backward, I thought Duncan's and Aaliyah's was just weird. And I, I, I say it was weird because it, I don't know. It, I, I, I guess I shouldn't expect a big setup. It just here they are talking basically for the first time. And she remembers him as Duncan Idaho because she's got all of her, her mother's memories and all the memories of those before her. So she knows who Duncan Idaho is, but she is meeting him really for the first time. And, and she's meeting hate for the first time. And he doesn't know her, but all of a sudden it's this, you know, and I'm just, I'm going to kiss you. And Oh my, you know, it's, it just feels like it's, let's just throw this in there because needs to work. That's, that's the way it needs to work. We're not going to massage the, the story at all. We're not going to, build up to it we're just gonna this is what needs to happen for the for the later books so here it is i kind of think though, that's, that's how a lot of teen ram romances go where it's just kind of like Maybe. oh we have feelings let's act on them yeah but but is, I, is the gola a teen i mean this is this is where it well felt apparently very he looks younger me, by the way. because of the whole everything that the talactines did right. to him the metal eyes made me think of the metal eyes made me think of mistborn yes sure. so yes sure. but Twilight, yes. Twilight, Mistborn, you know, the, the older undead and the young, you know, teenage, uh, you know, wafy, you know, oh my girl, you know. The fascinating thing about that situation for me, as I read it this time, I, I'm, I'm looking at it a little differently and it's because, it's primarily because I've now raised two teenage daughters. I've got one daughter that's, that's made it all the way through her teenage years into her young adulthood. Uh, and I've got another one who is 14 and we're doing the Twitter-pated thing, and we've got boys, and I am continually reminding her, let's talk about how horrible boys are. Let's talk about all of the things <laughs> that you may not that you, that you may not trust them for. We're starting to have some of those kinds of conversations, not because I really believe all of that, but because I lived all of that. And so, you know, but here's the thing. Uh, Aaliyah is now 15, mm -hmm. six, yeah. you know, 15, 15, 16 years old, and she is absolutely boiling with hormones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which and, is kind of nice. Well, and not I only... mean, she's she's a teenage girl. Right. I, she didn't really get to have a childhood. She's always been a weirdo, but she's a regular. Like I was, I thought that was kind of nice. And the bigger problem is she's a teenage girl with a grown up mind. 
a teenage girl yeah. with a grown-up mind and a history of a genetic breeding program, which probably means that she's got a grown-up perspective on a lot of other things too. Right. Right? Sure. So, you know, you try not to think about that very much, but when you start digging into it, um, for me, that makes that relationship between her and Duncan a very, a very interesting kind of a relationship. Yeah, because here's this man who has died. Yes. Come right. back to, like, they both have this very, they're both very unique. Well, well I, I guess she isn't so much anymore, but. Oh, yeah. she still is. Yeah. She still imagine. is, yeah. Um, well, and not only, he's a noble. Unique, and I could see both of them. He's a noble sacrifice, too, so. Yeah. And. It's true. He was a womanizer before he died. And so the other thing that she's remembering is the Duncan Idaho. Uh, That's true. He was when a, he was alive, yeah. and so I'm sure that there is another level of that. And remember, one of the things that the Gola says several times is that he's he only feels discomfort and and confusion when he encounters things that remind him of his past. Hmm. And Aaliyah, boiling with hormones and being obviously very pretty, seems to trigger. His past, yes, see for that? him in several that. different situations. I mean, I I much prefer her with Duncan Idaho than with Paul because that whole <laughs> okay, thing yeah, was that just was kind of that yeah. was yeah, that was disturbing. And that, just, every and time that the, came up, I was like, no, I can't, I can't. Yeah, it. and there's the Game of Thrones, you know, for you. <laughs> little... uh, see, and oh, I was yeah, thinking, yeah. I was thinking King Arthur and Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, that, kind which of, is also you know he's also the, still a little he's bit the political leader, and she's the kind of a religious figure, and still a little bit stuff. Yeah, that that was just weird on so many. So I'm really glad that and that, that made the Bene Gesserit weird too, because they were the ones that were kind of like, hey, if we can mingle, you know, oh, Paul, Paul started it where he's like, oh, That's I just true. noticed she's uh, becoming a woman. Hey, oh, she's, she's standing woman. there naked and she's apparently not bothered by it. So, you know what? Yeah, though? that was that whole scene was weird. <laughs> it was so weird. Um, there's there's <laughs> if that was the only thing in that scene that was weird. So um, many weird things. So so let's let's shift gears from we, the. We I'm sorry, we didn't the, get to talk about. Yeah, we Paul never and talked Chaney. about Paul and Cheney. I want to talk about Paul and Cheney. I I liked their story. It was very deep and multifaceted. Okay, <laughs> we'll put it that way because. Uh, Ken, you said multifaceted. I did. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, well, you know, I bring it once in a while. You had yes, a lot to do. think I about while he was running <laughs> and climbing. <laughs> Like, why am I doing this? Um, <laughs> no, but it there, there were just so many different angles of that story. I mean, here, uh, obviously, they're in love. Um, but he sees, I mean, for the last 12 years, he's seen all of the permutations where she dies and in the end of, of having children. I mean, he knows these children have to come, but he knows that Cheney dies. He knows that Irulan is feeding her the the contraceptive, but... He's cool with it because he he, he doesn't want It'll Cheney to die. Life, but yeah. yeah, so I mean, and so she you know goes around her back or his back goes around Irulan's back and takes the um, the Changes Fremen diet. yeah the the Fremen uh, what's it called it the ritual Fremen uh, birthing diet or, or breeding diet whatever it's called anyway and and gets pregnant and then there's this whole big thing about well now Irulan's um, manipulation and the Fremen diet, they're going to, that's what sparks the whole, this is what's going to kill you at the expense of your children, you know, type thing. I'm rambling at this point, but well, yeah. anyway, it's just, it's very, everything about their story has so much, uh, so many uh, consequences for everybody, politically, religiously. 
it, yeah, it's just a, it's a great story. Plus, I mean, the interaction between the two of them is very nice. Oh, see, I find the two of them really dull. <laughs> they are dull, but it's nice. I mean, I, it's not. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I, they don't have to have massive sense of humor. <laughs> I, I feel like that's kind of that's what you're going to get every time. Every time Paul is involved, that's what you're going to get is everything is by nature dull because he can see everything. He knows everything. He just and and so I mean, with that, he's just kind of like going through the motions. And, and I guess for it's, me, oh, wow, lots of coughing. No, go ahead. Megan. I'm so sorry um, about the coughing and also for interrupting you. <laughs> I, uh, no, you go ahead first. So um, when I was, when I was younger, the relationship between Paul and Chaney, didn't, I, I didn't pay any attention to it. I kind of walked past it. Um, th- uh, things are different now. Uh I've now been, uh, I've, I, I've been married for 28 years and, um, my wife and I are quite boring <laughs> in lots of ways. Um, maybe, maybe not so much as, as Paul and Cheney are, but you know, we, we have settled into a lot of routines and there is such comfort and such power in those routines that as I read through the book this time, and as I come to the moments where Paul takes refuge from all of the stuff that he has to deal with in trying to in, in trying to keep things moving at just a pace where it, the universe doesn't fly apart but where it keeps being driven to a place where it can be controlled his only respite from that is with Cheney and when when she dies um I felt my, I, I, I have not, um, I mean, I know it's coming. It's not a surprise. Anybody reading the book knows it's coming. It's mm-hmm. not a surprise. Yeah. But at that moment, I sobbed and I just, I, it was so hard. And especially knowing that now that was going to be the trigger that was going to bring out Dun- the real Duncan Idaho and give the opportunity for all of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I didn't care at all about that. All I could feel was, the absolute total sense of loss that one would feel if their best friend, if their lifelong partner, if the, if their moon was gone. Um, when my, when my wife and I were, were very early in our marriage, I remember, um, having a situation where she was, she was ill. We didn't know what was going on. We took her to the doctor and the doctor said, if you don't get her to the hospital right now, you're probably going to lose her. And I remember looking at my father-in-law and at my and my dad and my mom, and I'm like, "How do I how do I process this?" And they said, "Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine." And I'm like, "How do you know everything's going to be fine? Everything was fine. Thank you, thank you, modern medical science." Um, but that that fear, that moment of abject panic, has not left me in all of these 28 years, and. And so when I read that this time, I just was crushed. And so I get this, this, and and perhaps that's the reason why coming back to it, I'm reading it a little bit differently mm-hmm. because I know everything that's coming, and it's and I'm still being carried along, and and being pulled by everything that's going on. So that's the mark of a really good story. Though. It's a nice. it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece, but again, it's understated. It is. It is not the central. It is not the central piece of it. Mm-hmm. It's there for the taking, but 
but you have to you have to kind of want to take it. Right. And not everybody does because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily fit um, un- unless that's something that you're looking for. So I can see how it could be seen as something really very dull, very not interesting, very very all those kinds of pieces. But it is. But for me, this time through, especially because, like I said, the first time I read it, I was kind of I I was all of it was lost on me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, so your wife dies, big deal. Um, and, and no, that's a big deal. And now yes. I understand. And now I'm reading that and I'm just like, oh my goodness. And, and if you were to say to me, there is a way, and, and the moment, the other moment that I sobbed and I, and it was after, and this is really bad because when you're walking, when you when you listen to the book rather than read it, um, you, you have some moments where. You, you're listening to this, and you're in, in, and I'm I'm in my car, my cocoon, and I'm listening to it. So I'm in this, I'm in a state, and then I open the door, and I have to be around everybody else. So I, and I remember this very vividly. It was, um, it was the scene where Bejaz comes in, and he says, "Now I can bargain with you." Mm-hmm. Um, oh right. Mm-hmm. What what would you give to have your Cheney back? And I just start to sob again. Yeah. And then I stand up and I have to go into the mall to go get lunch. Um, and people are looking at me like, are you okay, dude? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just reading Dune. It's okay. Just leave me alone. <laughs> I've done that at the pharmacy. It's fine. We're all human. But it was, I've never done that ever. I believe that, Ken. You should try it. It's, it's nice to see how humans will take care of you. Yeah. Ken didn't even cry when the skin on his hands ripped off. He just started filming his wife. <laughs> That's true. Um, That's true. But then uh, that's that's kind of how things go. Yep. So. Um. Well, and now I should have gone first because my thing. I just find <laughs> my one of my struggles with, and it, a part of it is just the way that it's written. I feel like Cheney isn't a terribly fleshed out character. She's mostly just adjunct to Paul. About yeah. that. And Paul yeah. goes through the whole thing. Like Cheney comes to him at one point and says, "We need to talk about Irulan." She wants a child. So let's, let's talk about let her. Long. Let's let her have, you know, and he just, like, I feel like he just shuts her down every chance he gets. And really like, yes, it's nice that he has those moments of respite, but and just like, is, is Chaney really just there? I guess she's just there to be his concubine. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just didn't like that. I, I felt like she was always being dominated mm-hmm. and he didn't really listen. I just, I'm so okay. tired of, I'm, I, that is, I've, I I've see seen that. a lot of this lately where, I'll watch a TV show or a movie or a play where this girl, you know, a guy starts the next time somebody says, oh, just be persistent with a girl. If she says she doesn't like you, don't, don't, don't maybe listen to what she says. If you want to be persistent, listen to what she says and try it yeah. in a way you think she would actually appreciate. Read, um, read the room, dude. Right. Exactly. And so I, I just, I got really tired of Paul not ever listening to Cheney and not, and not, I guess he doesn't have to explain himself. He's the emperor. He's the Kwisatch Haderach. He, well, I was going to say, you know, he sees everything. He sees everything. But I, I feel like he just is very harsh about, no, we're not doing that. No, that's not going to happen. And it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess my opinion means nothing. We can't talk about this. Like, you can explain to me maybe. But yeah, you know, he just, we never see that. And maybe that happens in scenes that weren't written. But it just, In the 12 years really between books or whatever. But Yeah. It's possible. And, yeah. And, and it's true. And so that was my issue, my main issue with their relationship. Let's talk about Irulan for a minute, because I think there was a tragic lack of her in this book. Yeah. There was. She was very underused. She, yes. She was set she, up to be a lot more important than she was. Yeah, she, I mean, she comes in in the, in the first couple of chapters and she's part of this conspiracy. And then. Oh. She's gone. Todd is and smiling then, and bouncing. And then, and then she's just. 
She's just gone again until she's mentioned by Cheney and she shows up a couple times and then she shows up at the end and says, I'll take care of these babies. Well, thanks. You and know? so now so now she's not part of the conspiracy? Well, basically, I mean, Correct. She, yeah, she okay. steps away from the conspiracy and the Bene Gesserit. happened really fast. So, so but did you great. see why? Did you see when and did you see why? Not really. Well, she said that she had loved... She had no had loved Paul all this time and not realized it. Okay, so that part, no, yeah, which gonna, is is maybe, ridiculous too, by the way. Yeah, maybe, maybe so, but maybe not. Maybe but here's not. here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, when <laughs> when uh, when Gaius Helen and Irulan are talking in the cell using the Bene Gesserit finger language, mm-hmm. yeah. which, by the way. I want to see what that looks like at some point in time. Let's hope. I yeah. There's um, every book that has that the the eye eel and the wheel of time. They yeah, use a finger language yeah. that I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, or and silk I, in the Belgaria. I always yeah, remember silk, silk in the, the Belgaria. Belgaria. Yeah. I always just picture it like sign language, which which I can speak and I love. So <laughs> I, I I picture it like I picture it like a third base coach, you know? Yeah, or or a third base <laughs> yeah. coach. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, the the. <laughs> In the moment where, in the moment where, um, where they're they're conversing uh, about what's going on, and Irulan is starting to realize that she is, she has been, she has been brought to this moment in time to be used as a throwaway tool, and mm-hmm. that's what she yes. is. Mm-hmm. And I think now I may be wrong. I may be wrong, and it wouldn't be the first time. It certainly won't be the last. But but I think that's the moment where Irulan makes a decision. You know what? Maybe that maybe I'm not. Maybe I don't want to be part of this after all. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why she is allowed to survive. Okay. Because hmm. notice, all the other ones get killed. Right. Yeah. Right? Yes. Irulan is left alive. And the reason that Irulan... Now, maybe Irulan is left alive for all kinds of reasons. I guess we'll find out as we keep reading. I imagine she'll have a bigger part to play now that she's the guardian of the... Uh, you know the the monarchs of the Fremen, but which is kind of nice because Aaliyah is not ready to be a parent. Well, no. and, and you have to recognize too that that Irulan had to stay alive for at least one other reason, and that is that she has to be the historian and biographer of oh, all yeah. things. Oh right, Mu'ad-Dib. right, right. And so, because all of the things that she learned, she didn't learn all of that in the twelve years because that was there wasn't much going on. And the Irulan that is that we see in Dune Messiah is not the kind of person that could have written some of the glowing tributes that show up in the first book. That's true. That's okay, yeah. And that's, so that's true. What we're what we're seeing and and again, this is one of those that yeah, you're right, Ken. There was a there was a Say that disturb, again? you're right, Ken. Yeah. Oh. Do you want me to write it down? Please. There was a that disturbing li- <laughs> he's marking it on <laughs> he's marking it actually. He's just going to go and re-listen to that gonna, over and over. Gonna, over he's going to build that as a sound that's, you're right, Ken. That's you're right. right. That's his new ringtone. You're right, Ken. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, I derailed you. I am never going to tell you you're right again, <laughs> except on a Spartan course. Okay. Um, have we mentioned we went on Spartan? Um, okay, I promise. That, now you that need that to jingle is, your we jingle the medals. Let, we'll jingle the medals. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, we're done. We're Last done. time. Last that, time. That's, that's the rest. That's um, the end. So uh, there is a there wasn't uh, an obvious lack of Irulan in this book, mm-hmm. um, but again. I think that it's there's there's there are pieces there for those who are looking for it, but Herbert's purpose in this book has nothing to do with a love story. It has nothing to do with the biographer. Yep. It has nothing to do with the people. It has everything to do with the philosophy and the politics that Paul is putting into place and Frank Herbert's 
description and diatribe on power and how it should be used, when mm -hmm. it should be used, and how to get out of its way. Which is interesting because mm -hmm. uh, when you think that this was written in 1969, you know, right during the height of uh, a major war yep. or conflict. And uh, so, I mean, there could be some, I don't know if he served or anything like that. I know a lot of the authors that, that we've read that oh. from that era have served in one capacity or another, but I don't know if he did, but it certainly could be read as an indictment to what's going on in uh, in. In East, Vietnam, yeah, at the in time. Vietnam and East Asia at the time, but well, certainly his, uh, you know, he he, his moment where he talks about Paul Atreides, uh, and and Megan, you mentioned that uh, where he compares himself to Hitler and mm -hmm. he compares himself to Genghis Khan, mm -hmm. um, and he and he talks about about the the six billion or twelve billion people that he slaughtered and five hundred planets that he sterilized and all of these kinds of things. You want the you want the stats? I've got stats. Go for it. 10,000 total planets in the jihad, 61 billion dead, 90 sterilized planets, 500 demoralized, which I guess is, is bereft of religion, just religion wiped out, and, four, or, uh, and uh, 40 religions wiped out. I don't remember where I got those stats, but I got them from somewhere. I, I know where. They're in the book, and I marked They're, it, but I didn't have a yeah. chance to get it before yeah. we were Which is horrifying, because I, I read that, and then I thought about when he killed Jameis in the first book, mm -hmm. and Lady Jessica's response was... So you how know. does it feel? How to does be it feel to be a killer? Yeah. And now here he is, and he's just so callous against it. Like he's it. When I was reading it, I felt like he sounded almost proud. Yeah, like he's just just kind of accepted this is this is it. This just is what, what it has I to be. So that's that's fascinating to me because I don't think I read it. I don't think I read it that way the first time I read it, and this time listening to it, the direction they gave to the actors didn't read it that way either. Okay, good. Mm. Uh, instead, it came across with a tremendous amount of bitterness and self-loathing. Oh. <laughs> that makes me like him a little bit more. Oh, there you go. One of the one of the things that one of the things that's <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank Herbert's really thrilled about that one now. <laughs> Total, he doesn't care. The average. The, so somebody tell Brian Herbert the the average just went up by a quarter of a star. Nobody cares what I think. <laughs> I didn't run a race this weekend. I care what you think. Um, so even when you're wrong, um, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. Um, the, the, when, when, when he talks about this, the, there's a, there's a really interesting, um, there's a, there's a, the, the conversation between him and Stilgar, um, is, is quite, is quite interesting. It's quite mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, but in it, there's a, an obviousness that he has, he has tried everything he can to escape the jihad, but he recognizes that the only way to save the universe and keep civilization intact is to allow the jihad to be to occur, but to occur within his control. One of the things that he one of the things that he talks about, um, and and he he references it in this book at the very beginning about the jihad, but he referenced it a lot toward the end of the first book, is that he needed to keep control of these mad Fremen hordes that would sweep across and destroy everything in their path, including every piece of civilization that they came across. And so this, this whole concept, you know, they, they talked about, uh, the, the Fremen talked about having attacked the Sadakar and, and having eliminated it all but one legion of the Sadakar. Mm -hmm. And then they started talking about, well, why didn't we take out the guild? 
Well, if you take out the guild, you destroy all of civilization because you don't have a way of keeping all of the civilized planets, the colonized planets, connected because the distances are too great. Mm-hmm. Paul gets it. The Fremen don't. And so at, 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 every, at every step, Paul feels, or at least as I read it this time, seems to feel that he is being dogged by the, the hounds of war that he has to keep leashed. But he has to let them just out far enough so that they feel like they're getting their just due after all of this time of being repressed and being being kept underfoot and being ignored and being poorly treated, all of these kinds of horrible things. Okay, great. You've got you've got your 12 minutes of fame. You've got your 12 minutes of glory that you can do anything you want. Then get your butts back home because this is not what I'm going to allow. Yeah. It's just so sad because the Freeman, like, they, they had this whole culture and they seemed fairly content in the first in dune where you know they live in this society where there's almost no water and they mm-hmm. almost worship water and it's the and it's part of their riches and then 12 years later apparently there's enough water that um Aaliyah can take a bath and you know that you have this soldier talking about how he um finds a sea and he's looking at all of this random trash in the sea and he knows it was put there just so that he could see it and these people are, like, I felt like the Fremen were basically ruined because of the abundance of water that they were given because it it somehow wasn't introduced in a way that I, I think of Liet Kynes and how he he just knew in the future there would be um, more water in their civil, in um, on Ar- Ar- Arrakis. Arrakis, yeah. And uh, I don't know, just kind of the way that it is. It's, it's going to be a couple hundred more years before that necessarily is fulfilled. But right now the people just kind of went crazy and they're so barbaric. It, and it's funny because the Fremen really just are a mess Yeah. because of everything that Paul has done. I mean, in the, on the one hand they are, they've been enlightened. They've been, they've been saved. Um, I mean, they were going to, they were going to be wiped out by the Harkonnens and he saved them. And now 12 years later, he has, instituted this this religion not necessarily by his own doing mm-hmm. I, although he knew that by doing the things that he's doing well it's gonna it's gonna kick off this religion and it's gonna yeah. kick off this jihad but it's got to be done folks and the alternative is much worse and so now the, these hounds that he's that he can unleash and leash again are by his creation and and now he's kept his promise to bring water to arrakis and now the Fremen have, have kind of become complacent, I guess, for lack of a better term, or, or they've, they've kind of, I don't know, the waters, I don't want to say corrupted in, 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 I guess there's not really a and different way to say corrupted without it being kind of a, a negative thing. Sure. But, um, but it's also created this subset of people who are like, well, we liked the way it was. Mm-hmm. Paul has Which, destroyed you're our, have those people. Yeah. Paul yes, has destroyed are. our civilization. Yes, and so now we've got religious yeah. zealots who were among his friends. And now we've got um, eco-terrorists, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, also that, oh. you know, that we want to see it go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. And it's he, he's got it really coming from all sides. We've got the, this little cons- this conspiracy of, of Guild and Bene Gesserit and, and consortium that, that want to take him down. He's just, there are so many moving parts in this book. 
it, for as small as it is, it's it's amazing mm-hmm. how the mm-hmm. parts. That's by the way, that's part of the reason I didn't write another recap is because I went through okay, this ha- and this and this and this and this happened. This happened. I'm like, there's so much in this book. Yeah, this one is this one is definitely one where although they don't say it very often, it is certainly plans within plans within plans. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that the Gola, by the way. I'm going to contend that Duncan Idaho is dead, but that he is reborn in an unholy alliance between man and machine called the Tlaxus axolotl tanks. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Axolotl tank, axolotl tank, axolotl tank, axolotl tank, axolotl tank, axolotl tank. Axolotl. You guys will have some fun with that. And by the way, I was looking at James's name again, and I am so sorry, James. Uh, his James, his name, his last name is Wallenick, not Walniak. I apologize. I'm so sorry. Um, I hate it when people mispronounce my name too. Um, so we'll just deal with that. We'll make sure we spell it correctly when we, we, we will, we will. Um, but I think one of the things that's, one of the things that's fascinating about all of this is that Paul is, Paul does very little to start things, but he also does very little to stop them. He's let the religion grow up around him. He's never given very specific instructions about the way the religion should be handled. He just lets it go. Mm -hmm. He's never given very specific instructions about the fact that it should be curtailed at all. He just lets it go. And he is concerned with running the Imperium. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so from his standpoint, this is all the, 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 the religion that grows up around him is not his making. It's his, he's allowed it. But it's other people that have made him into something. Well, and I I really enjoyed all of the references to the difference between um, religion and government and how they should be kept separate. And um, it, looking at it from that point of view, like it makes sense that Paul would kind of just let it go. Like he is kind of a religious figurehead, but yes. he he's more concerned with like the rules and taking care of the people um, in that way. And then you have his sister who's who's kind of on the other end and is um you know i'm just i want to read this really quick sure please. lady jessica writes a letter to Aaliyah. yes and she says you produce a deadly paradox government cannot be religious and self-assertive at the same time religious experience needs a spontaneity which laws inevitably suppress and you cannot govern without laws your laws eventually must replace morality replace conscience replace even the religion by which you think to govern Sacred ritual must spring from praise and holy yearnings which hammer out a significant morality. Government, on the other hand, is a cultural organism particularly attractive to doubts, questions, and contentions. I see the day coming when ceremony must take the place of faith and symbolism replaces morality. And I feel like that's definitely where it's going, where they, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you, in religion, you try to teach people correct principles and then let them do with that what they will, but you, that we struggle with that and um some religions in do. government mm-hmm. some religions do but like with government i just i look at the state of the united states right now and we all want more laws to like tell us what to do and not, not everybody had to do it <laughs> i mean the royal we <laughs> oh, okay wait no i don't i don't mean wow me. i don't want more so you laws. want a monarchy is what you say Yes, but I don't want to be the queen. <laughs> wow. I would like to be the princess consort. That's all I need. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. No, but I, I look at it in that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to say. Let's no. say that one. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll not coming out of post forever. ever. Okay. <laughs> um, princess Megan says so. <laughs> I, no, but it's, I, it's, it's really weird how, you know, uh, 
it's it it can't it has to be one or the other either you trust people to do the right thing or you continue to give laws and box people in until they're doing exactly what you want them to more or less i i don't disagree with you by the way in in the you sense can't disagree of with no me. i mean i don't i don't disagree with you in in the sense that the the larger body of people seem to want it despite protest people despite protestations that they might not want more laws why don't the government just get out of our hair and yet then you turn around and somebody is saying well, there ought to be a law against this or government's gonna should do this for me or whatever yeah so more and more people are dependent on on the government or looking to government for answers and it's, i it's realize easier. we're not yeah. supposed to be a political you know we're not trying to get political yeah. and i'm not trying to get political but 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 frank herbert is obviously political in this particular book absolutely mm-hmm. and he is laying he, one of the things that I that I have found interesting in coming back to these pieces, um, uh, well, let me let me ask it this way, and and I don't know, uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to dig into this very much in in this particular episode. Maybe it'll be in the next episode we do this more. But if you if you go back and you look in the first book, it's it's a lot of level one with some level two and level three stuff thrown in. Mm-hmm. This book is a lot of level two. This is so much mm-hmm. level two. This is more level two than anything we've read, I think. Um, pro- this very, is probably the level twoest book we've read. Very, very likely. Um, and and I'm not sure if I'm not sure if that was really his intent. Um, but it certainly, like I say, is a is another piece of the foundation that is required for the next couple of books to really have the power that they need to have. Um, this this struggle that Paul deals with on walking the line between governing well and what does that mean? Does that mean that the Imperium goes on? Does that mean that the lives of everyone in the Imperium are better? Because obviously they're not. 90 planets sterilized, 500 500, um, demoralized, demoralized, 40 religions just uh, destroyed. Um, Does that mean that everyone is better off? He's controlled the spice, but in the process of controlling the spice, he has also um, he has also set up a situation where the worms are curtailed, mm-hmm. and spice production is now completely under their control. The guild is in desperate need. Everyone is in desperate need, and he can do anything he wants with the profits, which he does. Well, in the Teleli Laksu, Teleli Laksu, Teleli it Our, takes a while to learn to say that word. I, you know, I can say it in my head, but I mean, they're trying to <laughs> smuggle worms off planet to everybody is everybody wants a worm and nobody understands how they work. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in book three. Ooh, do they explain how that works in book three? Wait we'll until book, book three. three. Uh, Wait until book three. There's some interesting things so that happen. Find out tomorrow. It's interesting. There's stuff that happens in book three. It's interesting. It really feels like cool. Paul, Paul in his prescience is trapped by it you know what i mean i yeah he's, fascinating he's, yeah. Fascinating he's trapped by the liberating power of his prescience because he he knows what's coming but he can't really he do it doesn't any, always know how to get there but he doesn't always know how to get there and and in his mind 61 billion people dead is the best case scenario well maybe not maybe not just in his mind but maybe by all of the possible futures that are available to him yeah 61 billion it's when when and and you ha- and and I had to ask myself if 61 billion dead was the best of all possible futures what were the worst i imagine um, there's a total be annihilation that would be snapping his fingers 
I would Perhaps. imagine there's a total annihilation Perhaps. aspect in there. Uh, there might be, uh, or at least a, a, a dark age of civilization mm-hmm. where all of the ability of the of the Imperium and of the and of and of planets to be able to benefit from each other and from what goes on, we lose. What kind of corollaries does that give for us? Because really, the the purpose of level well, let me rephrase the value of level two, uh, or of any of the levels really, is to look at them and say. So what does that do for us? I'm not suggesting that I think we need to decide that right now, but I am throwing that out as a question. And maybe our listeners uh, in Reddit will will give us some feedback on what they think about the level two implications of this book. Um, There is some level three stuff. The story of Paul and Cheney is very much a level three. There's plenty of introspection stuff. Um, There's, there's, and there's some really cool, um, there's some really cool level one scenes. Mm -hmm. There are some neat scenes that, but they are, but they are vignette oriented. The the meat of this book is carrying us through Frank Herbert's discussion of politics, mm-hmm. religion, and power. I I want to hold it until next uh, until next recording, but but uh, the scene with the nuke, with the Ugh. stone burner, with the stone burner, yeah. yeah. I oh I want to I want to get into that, but I want to save it. Yeah, till next we did with that scene. We guaranteed I will never be seeing a movie version of this book. Oh really? Because nope, of the eyes can't thing? deal with eyeball things. Nope. Okay, okay, That's well we're. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will tell, uh, maybe offline or maybe next time, maybe, maybe in the next, uh, podcast, we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted, and I'm going to ask you guys this, um, but I, but I also want to share what, uh, what James Wallenick said. Um, and the question was, was there a moment or a portion or an aspect of the book that you remember being particularly memorable for one reason or another? And he said, aside from the falling moon scene, because we already know that you <laughs> felt very strongly about that. I've always loved the segment where Paul's vision is blown out and he's navigating using prescience mm-hmm. in place of vision. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of that scene? That's, that's what I want to talk about next time. Is that what you want to talk about mostly next oh, time? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll talk about it next time. But, yeah, but obviously that's a that's a piece of it. Oh, yeah. I think there's so much there, though. I just I, think. And I, I want to give it. I don't want to give it a short shrift now. I want to. Okay. I want okay. to give it some time. That's fair. Um so I want to, I, I, I want to, um, well, let's, let, let's shift, let's shift gears then. Um, was there a scene for you guys that stood out as this is a scene that really stuck with me or will stay with me as I move through the rest of the, of the Dune experience? Megan, do you? Um, while I was reading it, I, I just thought this, it's. It's interesting. Like it, it got creepy real fast. But um, the scene where Aaliyah, like she's taking a bath and then she gets up and decides to the sparring work out. scene. The sparring scene where she gets higher than anybody that she's heard of and and farther than Paul before he gets there and can stop her. And I just, I love this moment where this very young woman who has an old soul gets to celebrate being alive and being human. She just, you know, she's using all of her senses and she's feeling this huge amount of pride. And it's not, she gets to have this moment where she's not just like, oh, the weird girl and the old soul, but she's she's somebody with a lot of power and who can do things. And she's proving it to herself and she's proving it to her brother when he walks in and the others. And, um, I don't know. I just really like that moment as a as a girl with an older brother 
who just always seemed to be so good at everything. And we didn't get along nearly as well as Paul and Leah do. Um, I don't know. I, I just sometimes wish I'd had more of those moments where I could see that he was proud of me or that he could like appreciate those things and say, oh, yeah, no, you you did better than I did there. Like, that's amazing. Good job. And I just I really like that moment. OK, cool. The The part that stuck with me, maybe it stuck with me for the wrong reasons, is the uh, uh, the part where Paul snaps duncan idaho back to reality yeah. after after right after cheney dies and and we all know it's coming because because frank herbert is very uh, very transparent in what's going to yeah. happen there yeah. which is interesting because when the surprises come they actually you know he can still surprise you mm -hmm. even though he tells you right up front this is what's going to happen but the part where he where he snaps Duncan back to reality after Duncan already knows the moment he says these trigger words, I'm going to kill him. And he's, he manages to snap him out with a word or a phrase that his grandfather said and, and everything. And I just thought, Oh, that, that is nice. And this is, this is a good recovery. And, and, and typically you can see, see things like this happening where the old ally is, is conditioned to be the murderer and he comes back around miraculously somehow you know the story's coming but it, this one was really good and i was excited for it and then i felt like it was taken away from me when the dwarf comes in and says this was our plan all along was that you were going to snap him out of it and teach us how to do that well, you I'm didn't like, see that coming <sighs> i'm sorry i i just i don't know i was well no and i really i appreciate I, I, maybe that i should too, have because i know it was maybe. it was referred to as well right i mean they're like this is what our plan bit. is going to be but still i missed it and and i was all excited for it at the time and then when he comes through and he tells us the 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 end game i'm like that's it ruined it for me yeah you know? no because it was nice having paul had had kind of a moment with somebody who knew paul before he was the emperor yes, who just exactly. knew him as like this young kid and would take him hunting and you know just somebody who just loved him for him and not just because he was supposed to follow him right Right, exactly. He had one of his old friends back, and it's great. Paul is, or Duncan is still back, and he's still, yeah. you know, my favorite character, because because he's just, you know, he's one of those level one characters that I just love. And now but, he's young again, and he can grow up again and grow old. Yeah, and he can grow old with Aaliyah. So it's so sweet. Uh, so far as you know, um, plans with uh, so plans, far as I know, plans within plans. Um, for for me. Um, and I've I've talked a little bit about about uh, my favorite scene with with regards to Paul mm -hmm. um, and and how Paul moves throughout this this experience and and why that is and, and maybe not my favorite scene but one of the most one of the most powerful and poignant scenes. Um, but I but I have to admit, perhaps my perhaps my favorite scene um, in the book is when Paul is told, yes, the twins are alive and he trips. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, for me, if there was a, if there was a, if someone had said, what, what did you take from Dune Messiah? The first time that you read it, it was that. Did you it, relate? I, in many ways, um, <laughs> in many ways, um, <laughs> Uh, mostly because I spent the entire weekend without my with my glasses off, and I was tripping on all kinds of stuff. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, this 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 moment where where Paul's and and there's and 
I, I cannot wait, uh, I'm, but I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna force myself to wait. Um, but there are, some, there are some really interesting conversations which will happen around books three and four that really inform that moment and inform it really, really beautifully well. Um, we, we'll, we'll talk more about Paul and his prescience and how that works and how those things go. But, but for me, when I think about a scene that I, that I carry with me, mm-hmm. um, it isn't the birth of the twins. It is the trip after he hears that it's twins. Because you remember earlier in the book. Because he didn't know. Yeah, she says, surely the medics have told him. Because he said our child. Yeah. But surely he has to know. Right. And, and he doesn't. He's he is so focused, and and this is one of those moments, and and perhaps this is a perhaps this is a more telling, uh, and a more personal level two moment. He is so busy taking care of what has to be done for, for the universe, for the needs of the for the needs of the household, for whatever. He is so busy taking care of work, that he is completely out of touch with what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. And as a as a husband and a father, again. I read this differently now, but as I read that, I say to myself, how many times am I missing the things that are going on at home? And when they show up, I trip because I am now completely out of my element and I know nothing of what's going on. There have, doggone it. <laughs> there have been times this year that have been exactly like that. When, um, when I have come home not necessarily to the extent that I was going to lose my marriage or that any of those kinds of things were going on, but when there were, there were big things happening and I came home and my wife said, yeah, we've just kind of been handling this because we knew that you didn't have time. Oh. And, and I, and That's I, hard to hear. And I felt both the absolute depths of sorrow that my family is hiding things from me because they don't think I can handle it, but also tremendous gratitude because they knew what I was doing needed to be taken care of. And that they and that they didn't hold it against me, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was hard to get back going again. Um, so again, maybe and, and again. That scene was cool because I thought, oh yeah, that's funny, man. You know, you know everything, and then you can't even remember the steps are, dude. Come on, you gotta know, even if you just all of a sudden yeah. lost your sight. Yeah, but no, I, I I get it on a different level now. At least it it it, it, res- it resonated with me on a different level, and so you know, it was pretty powerful stuff. That's interesting. I yeah, it didn't touch um, me like that, but I'm dead inside. So. Well, kid, we <laughs> we kind of know that all your feeling is in your hands. Um, <laughs> well. And right now there's oh. right oh. right now there's not going there. Never mind. I'm just not. I'm, I'm not, not going not, there. None of, uh, I didn't mean it that way. I did not mean it that way. I'm, I'm Heart's glad we, beating in your hand. I'm glad we brought it back around. So. <laughs> we 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 can't we can't stay on those kinds of levels all the time. Ken, do we have can anything? We, can for we us? ask a couple of of, of Reddit uh, or mention a couple of Reddit comments really quick? I think I, we should. I got the Reddit thread up there really slow this this week, so. So I apologize. We didn't get very many questions. Thank because, you to the people who saw it. Yeah, because uh, I got it out literally hours before we recorded. But we'll get one up next time. And and uh, with the next with the next uh, recording, put comments in in the uh, in the Reddit thread. Whatever we didn't get to in this episode that you want to hear 
uh, us discuss next time. Uh, then, yep. yeah, put whatever the, put we the missed questions and in there. things that you would like us to talk about next Absolutely, time, please. And there is lots that we're still going to talk about next time. I'll, I'll mention it in a uh, minute. At least but one anyway, or two things. This uh, we kind of talked about this one earlier. Egg McNoggin, I love Reddit <laughs> names. Egg McNoggin <laughs> says, "Is it just me, or is anybody else sad about the reality of Princess Irulan's life versus what you imagined her yes. life to be from her excerpts in the first book?" We kind of talked about that a little bit, but not directly yeah. like that. And and yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit sad what you see. I I expected I expected more. I guess friendship, more camaraderie between the two of them, um, into this book. But obviously, that's not that's not what happened. And, and clearly, you know, her her warmth toward Paul will have to come later. Yeah, but well, uh, and it's so yeah, it's a little sad. It's a little disappointing, and and I already said earlier, I'm I'm very disappointed at how little there was of Irulan in this book. Yeah, I agree. There's a line that said at at some point, and I can't remember the exact wording, and I didn't mark it in my book, but it's it's along the lines of, she's not a queen, she's the princess consort, or she's not the empress, she's the princess consort. Yeah, like she's really not a partner in any way. He's not letting her do anything. Yeah, he lets she, her take minutes. Yeah, he lets her take minutes. She's literally like... A secretary. And she's not getting paid. She gets nothing from it. That's all she gets to do. She gets to be the queen. Um, No, she doesn't. She's the princess consort. But she's... Yeah. Yeah, because... She, uh, like, she's... But, yeah, because She's not his partner in any way. Like, Chani, he doesn't listen... Or Chaney, he doesn't listen to, but at least he cherishes her and cares about her. Everybody knows who the queen is. Yeah, and Irlan just... She gets nothing. She basically lives there. She gets to sit in. But she like I would be ticked off too. Like I yeah totally understand her. Easy point to of understand view. how she get bitter about that. Absolutely, uh, isn't it after easy 12 to twelve years? Isn't it easy to see how 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 quickly and easily the Bene Gesserit could turn her into a pawn? Mm-hmm. And isn't it fascinating to watch how fast they decide to dump her? Mm-hmm. She is a tool. One of the things about the Bene Gesserit that we that we really haven't started talking about much is just how, and Paul, Paul references this along the line. He talks about the, the idea that, um, that human lifetimes are so short, mm-hmm. that something that takes 50 lifetimes is impossible for civilization to do. Yeah. But the Bene Gesserit figured it out. And it wasn't just 50 lifetimes. It was, it was 500 lifetimes, 500 generations of time that they invested in this breeding program. Mm-hmm. What we don't know, and I'm trying to, and, I, and I'm, I, I don't think I'm giving anything away, but I, it seems to me what we don't know yet, because remember the Tlaxu said, we'd already created a Kwisatz Haderach. Right. Yeah. And we had to kill it. Or it, it, it allowed itself to be killed because it would not change. Mm-hmm. We could not get it to change to be what we needed it to be. And that line, it, it, it informs so much because it makes me wonder, one of the things that I've always wondered is how close had the Bene Gesserit been to getting a Kwisatz Haderach before? Mm-hmm. How many times have they gotten close and they always miss it? And do they miss it because they don't know how to control it? So they push, they push these lines away and they, because they can wait because oh, the yeah. Bene Gesserit sisterhood is not about a sister. It's not about the Reverend Gaius Mahayam. All of the Bene Gesserit Reverend mothers are manifested in all of the other Reverend mm-hmm. mothers to move forward. So it's fat. It, it, it's a it's a really interesting portrayal of Paul, a single individual against all of the the history 
of the Bene Gesserit. And what does he do to try and keep it from their hands to make sure that civilization survives the way that he thinks it should, free? Well, and it's also interesting because they just really hate Aaliyah. And, I mean, here's this person who really... They call her the abomination... No, not the abomination, the... Uh... Yeah, the abomination. Is that what they call her? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and she's like out here leading her own religion yes. and just basically not really doing whatever she wants, but she's not necessarily under their thumb. She's not under their thumb at all, but she knows all their tricks. Yep. Any other questions from Reddit? Uh, just one comment from Phoenix King 1730. Well, I don't like sand. It's rough, of course, and gets everywhere. <laughs> well, if he's um, if he's you. from Phoenix sand, then I can understand why he might say that. It's I want to go. I want to. Oh, now I can't think of what the pod racers are called. Is it a pod racer? Yeah. Let's go ride a pod racer. Yeah. You know, I just got to tell you, I'm still finding sand and silt and mud. So, yeah, it's just. <laughs> oh, did I bring it up one more time? Oh, man. There was um, so much mud. All right. But, uh, yeah, we'll. We'll, we'll, we'll not talk about racing next we won't, time. We won't talk about it at all next time, I'm that, sure. That's still one of uh -huh. my favorite lines, my favorite unintentionally comical lines from, from episode two, The Clone Wars, is that one from uh, Anakin. I hate sand. It's coarse and gets everywhere. <sighs> Whatever. Like, uh, what a, that was just such a dog of a movie. Anyway. Yeah, well, it was because George Lucas wrote it, not Frank Herbert. <laughs> it was just so um, if Frank <laughs> If Frank Herbert had written it, it would have been much better done. There is there we, is much more to discuss. It's funny, and in, in uh, one of the things that we want to discuss next time is is the uh, inspirations taken from Dune in Star Wars. So um, that's the, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up next time. So that's a, what we call in the business a professional tease. So speaking of of inspiration, I did. Time. I wanted to I wanted to go back to James Wallenick one more time, and I said, uh, was there something about this book that inspired him to become a writer? He said, uh, at the time, it inspired me to tell more sweeping tales about the human condition. More recently, it has inspired me to weave spirituality into my depictions of characters and cultures. We haven't talked, we, we've talked about religion in this podcast. We've talked about some politics. We haven't really talked about philosophy. We haven't talked about spirituality. So maybe we can spend some time talking about those next time around because they're different. And the, the while... While politics and philosophy, religion and spirituality run in the same kinds of directions, they're certainly in different lanes. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they have different kinds of power at different kinds of times. So it might be kind of fun as we talk about things that we're going to look at next time to make some time to look at those couple of things. I like that. If we get a chance. And, and we'll talk about the stone burner. And we'll talk about the stone burner and prescience. Um, and we'll talk about some, and, and we'll, and we'll ask the question that we always ask, was there enough level one stuff in this book? What do we really think? And where do we go with it? Um, hopefully you've had as much fun doing with this particular episode as we have. Hopefully you are looking forward to the next one as well. Um, if there are questions, we really want to, we, we really want to explore some of the questions that you've got and give you some of our, some of our feedback. Please leave us some comments, leave us some questions. We'll make sure that we include those in our next episode. We are not on tap, uh, because of the way that things are, are designed and, and built. We are not on tap for three episodes. So there'll be oh. two episodes with red team. Uh, as I was, as I was looking through, and then we will come back to a blue team episode. That's why I said, we're going to be, a, I think episode 221. I think that's where when we come back come in. Next. Um, so, uh, just recognize that we've, uh, we've got a little bit of time that you're going to have a, a little bit of a hiatus from us. But in the meantime, um, if you, if you want to go back, review Dune Messiah, that'd be great. Start looking into children of Dune. 
Uh, and uh, then we'll 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 get to the end of this one and we'll see where we go. Thanks very much for your time. Um, any last words, guys? Um, hey, did you guys uh, run a race this weekend? Hey, can we tell you about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. We should tell you about that. Huh. Um, all right. I feel a little bit better about this book now that we've discussed things. And now I feel a little bit shallow. So <laughs> I may or may not reread it, but uh, so, at least I'm growing as a person. So was I right when I said you were absolutely wrong? No. <laughs> Hey, I don't know if you heard, but we ran a Spartan race. Did you Did you hear? We ran a Spartan race. Did you jingle those on the microphone? We haven't done it yet. We actually haven't. But we're yet. going They've to. They've only mentioned three times so far that they've done it.